0: How many of you would say that you're going through something right now at this moment that you don't understand? How many of you would say that you're feeling a pain or a burden and you're not exactly sure how to carry it? Yeah, I, um, over the last couple of months, really, um, I've just I've heard so many stories of people that are carrying heavy loads, and um, you know, as as a pastor, I think the thing that bothers me the most is knowing the fact that you're you're carrying it and you're scared, and you don't know what to do, and you're you've got a lot of unrest in your spirit, and I don't care how faith-filled you are, sometimes things are scary, and. I think one of the downfalls of modern society is that sometimes we feel like we can't admit that, like we can't show that. And so I I was just sitting over there just just a minute ago, and a passage of Scripture really spoke to me this week in my personal time with God. And it's not a—if you've been in church a while, it's not mind-blowing, and it's not hard to find. But I just want to read it to you, and then I just want to pray for those people that are struggling— with a lack of peace and are struggling to figure out how to carry whatever weight you're carrying and whatever weight you're carrying. Philippians four verse six says, Don't worry about anything. And maybe maybe you can just make this make this a prayer this week. It says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And so if you're carrying that weight and you feel that lack of peace, I would encourage you to do what Philippians 4 says, and that's start with prayer. The thing that God spoke to me is that uh, prayer is the hallway to peace. It's the hallway that I walk down to to find peace. And then peace is the guard for my heart. And so peace isn't something that I try to get, but it's the thing that guards me when life situations bring me down. And so I just want to pray for you. Maybe if, um, if you're going through something, maybe you could just raise your hand and say, that's me. And I just, I just want to pray over you for the weight that you're carrying and the lack of peace that you're carrying and hope that, and hopes that it can pave the way to, to some peace for you. I don't know how it's going to turn out, but I know that, that God is bigger. So let me pray for you. If you're going through something, just raise your hand, just symbolically saying, I surrender. God, thank you so much for your greatness, for your goodness. Thank you that, as we sang just a moment ago, that you bring great things from ruins. And, God, there's people right now that feel like they're stuck in a pile of ruins so, Lord, I pray that right now, in Jesus' name, that a, a mighty and ununderstandable un- peace would just fall over them. God, that you would work in their situation. God, that you would listen to their prayers. And, God, that they wouldn't feel like they're, they're praying to the sky, but that they would understand that they're praying to a God who wants to give them peace to guard their hearts. God, I pray that the burden, uh, Lord, why it may not go away, would be lifted. God, we trust you. God, thank you for everyone under the sound of my voice. Thank you for what you're doing in this moment. God, we speak peace. We speak joy. We speak hope in this room this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you have uh, ever been whitewater rafting? Anybody? How many of you almost didn't survive whitewater rafting? Anybody? So I had never been whitewater rafting until a couple of months ago. Melissa and I. Uh, Went with some friends of ours, and they called and said, hey, do you want to go whitewater rafting? And I'm like, sure. Melissa's like, we're probably going to (laughs) die. And she was never fully convinced we weren't going to die until literally we got out of the raft at the end. And so, like, she's, you know, making final plans and that kind of thing. And we get to the whitewater rafting place to check in. And I don't know if this is the way all of them do it because I've never been to another one. But after we check in, they take you to this little room where you watch a safety video. Now, let me set this up by saying that the people that we were with were too cheap to pay for the guided tour. They said, we can do this by ourselves. We've been before. So we go. We watch this little 15-minute safety video. or So I assume it was about safety. Me, I, I was just ready to get my raft. I wanted my life jacket. I wanted my raft. I was ready to go. I didn't have time for a safety video. But Melissa, being the only one in the group, that's scared for her life, actually paid attention to the safety video. And if you want to know Melissa's personality, that's it. Pay attention to the safety video. Nobody else in the group did, so we get our life jacket. We get in our raft. We're headed down the river. Everything's good. Nobody's, Nobody's fallen out yet. Nobody's hit their head on a rock. Nobody's frozen to death at the bottom of the river, which were all expected outcomes from Melissa. And we get to this one point, and we're in the middle of the river. And Melissa starts saying something. Well, we're, we're all just kind of talking. You know, it's not like it's a quiet environment. And so we don't really know what she's saying. And then she gets a little louder and a little louder. And if, if you all don't know her, she's really quiet until she's scared or mad. And then look out. And so literally she starts screaming, the video said stay to the right. The video said, stay to the right. And we're in the middle of this river. We didn't listen to her. Probably 30 seconds, a minute later, finally, we think, well, maybe Melissa did pay attention to this video. Maybe we should listen. So we start paddling to the right of this river, and we look, and we narrowly avoid this humongous rock and this big rapid in the middle of the river. Sure enough, she was right. You know, sometimes I think we misunderstand and miss the significance of certain moments in our life. Sometimes we're so ready to get to the next place, whatever situation, whatever season that is in, that we miss the significance of the moment we're in. Every moment of our lives is important. Never is a moment wasted in our lives. Some of you today, you are In this room this morning, you're watching online, and your life is going really well. I'm totally aware of that. You feel like things are finally starting to line up. You feel like things are finally taking place that you've been hoping would take place for a long time. You're seeing some relationships restored. I want you to know that that this is a significant moment for you. God wants to do something in this moment. For some of you, you're on the opposite end of that, like we just talked about. And you feel like everything is going wrong. You've gotten phone calls you didn't expect. You've gotten diagnosis that you never dreamed of. You've, you're put in, you've been put in situations that you never thought you would have to go through. Relationships are severed that you thought would be there forever. I want you to know that this moment for you is important. Some of you, you're waiting on something. You're waiting on God to do something that you've been asking him to do. You're waiting on some resolution to something. You're you're, you're waiting for something to happen. I want you to know that this moment is significant for you. This moment is important. Don't just try to get to the next thing, but live in the moment and the significance of this moment. One of the things that I have come to realize is that God can do big things with what seem like small moments. And for me, that gives me that gives me hope to know that God never wastes a moment, that God never wastes anything it gives me great hope because what it tells me is, is it tells me that there is a reason for my suffering. There is a reason for what I'm going through and that he is not going to waste it. When I'm in the middle of it, I can understand that I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't want to be in the midst of it, but I know that God won't waste it. This moment is significant. God is working. God is doing something. God is building something. God is putting some things together in this moment. He never wastes a moment. That's my title today. If you're taking notes, you can write down nothing wasted. Nothing wasted. And if there's one phrase that you can commit to memory that you can write down, type in your phone, put it somewhere where you can see it, this is what I would want you to remember. God won't waste what I walk through. God won't waste what I walk through. There is hope even when I don't understand because God won't waste what I walk through. We've been in this series called Oddballs, so we're talking about odd stories in scripture today. I want to talk about a guy named Balaam. Numbers 22 just to kind of set up the context for the story that we're going to be in. It's, it's during the, the time period of Israel wandering in the desert. So the Israelites were God's people, God's chosen nation. They were enslaved in Egypt. God frees them from Egypt, but they still haven't gone to the promised land, the place that he really wanted them to reside. And so along the way, they wander in the desert, having to fight in battles in order to get to the next place. So God is blessing Israel uh, word is starting to kind of spread around um, the, different, the different kingdoms about what, what God is, is doing. And there's a particular king named Balak, who is the king of Moab, who is absolutely ticked at the Israelites. He's mad. He's heard about what God's done for him during their season of wandering on their way to the promised land. And he is mad at the Israelites. Now, just a side note, just because you're doing everything right doesn't mean everyone's going to like you. How many of you know that? Just because you're doing your best to live a life that you know you're supposed to live, just because you're making good choices, just because you're resisting the gossip, just because you're resisting making the bad decision, doesn't mean everybody's going to like you. Like you, it's just the way it is. Haters going to hate, right? It's probably a dated phrase, but I've been waiting to say it because I thought it was cool. Not everybody's going to like you, and 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 Balak he doesn't he doesn't like the Israelites, and so he. He goes to this guy named Balaam, who sort of knows about God, but he's known to be kind of a fortune teller, prophet of the day. He goes to Balak, and he says, Balak, I'm going to pay you if you will go and curse Israel before my kingdom battles against them. uh, Balaam consults God. God says, no, you're not, don't, don't, don't go, don't curse Israel. It's not going to happen. I forbid it. And then Balak kind of ups the ante, offers Balaam a little more money to go and curse the Israelites. And that's where we're going to pick up the story. Verse 18. Even if Balak were to give me his palace filled with silver and gold, I would be powerless to do anything against the will of the Lord, my God. But stay here one more night, and I will see if the Lord has anything else to say to me. Have you all ever done that? Like, God's already told you something, and you're like, let me double check, right? Like, God, should, should I date them? No. Uh, let, me, let me double check. They, they're, they're pretty good looking, right? And so Balaam goes back. He says, let me, let, let, me, let me double check. Verse 20 says, that night God came to Balaam and told him, since these men have come for you, get up and go with them, but do only what I tell you. Now, on the surface, this seems confusing. It almost seems like God is being kind of wishy-washy, right? Like God is like like God is speaking out of both sides of his mouth because he's already told Balaam, Balaam, you can't go. Balaam goes back to him and God says, Okay, well you can go if you'll do if you'll do what I tell you. God's God actually is seeing the condition of of Balaam's heart here. And I think one of the things that that we can forget really easily, especially when we're in those tough places of life, is that God can see at a deeper level than we can, that God sees at a spiritual level. He sees things at a, at, at, a, at, a, at a deeper place than we do. And so when we're looking at somebody else and we see what they have and what we don't have, we forget that God sees things that we don't see. Or when we're going through something, and we think, I don't deserve this. Like, I have tried to do my best. I don't deserve this. I think sometimes we can forget that God sees things at a, at a deeper level than we do. He sees the hearts of people. He sees the beginning. He sees the end. And so he sees things at a, at a deeper level. That's what he's doing here with Balaam. He knows Balaam's heart, and he knows Balaam's going to do what he wants to do anyway. And so he gives Balaam a choice. Doesn't God give us a choice? God's not going to force anything on you. We are created with free will. We are created with a choice to choose right or to choose wrong, to choose to listen to God, to choose to disobey God. We are created with choice. We have have freedom. Now, God gives us parameters. He gives us guidelines, but ultimately, ultimately we have freedom. And I think sometimes I can look. At the parameters and the guidelines God gives me, the commands that God gives me, the do's and the don'ts, and I can see that as God's not giving me freedom, but he gives me a choice. He tells me the best thing because God does want what's best for you. I don't care what you've thought, what you've been told. God wants what's best for you, but he gives us, he gives us choice. Total freedom isn't just letting us run, run wild with, without, any, without any rules, without any parameters, total freedom is giving us a choice with parameters let's take for instance if you have a dog any dog lovers some of y'all treat your dogs better than your kids and you're like well my dogs don't talk back i hear you let's say for instance let's say for instance you have a dog you live on a busy street most people would think the first inclination would be if that dog is going to be free, I can't, I can't give it a fence because it's going to have to be free to run and to roam. Now, what do we know? We know that there's a busy street out in front of your house, and if that dog's just left to roam, he could run out in the middle of the road. He could get hit by a car. He or she could get mauled by an animal. They could, they could get stolen. But instead, because you love your dog, you just raised your hand and told me, you give it a fence And basically what you say is you say, okay, anywhere inside of this fence, you can roam. You can run. You're completely free inside of this fence. But I am giving you this fence not to chain you down, but I'm giving you this fence because what's on the other side of the fence isn't best for you. And I think sometimes when it comes to God and his commands and his do's and his don'ts, sometimes we only see the fence and we miss the freedom that the fence provides. I I wouldn't let my two-year-old, we live pretty close to the road, I wouldn't let my, if I, when he was two, I wouldn't let him just play in the front yard by himself. Why? That wouldn't be freedom for a two-year-old. And so God knows what's best, and so he gives us these parameters not to hurt us, not to take away our freedom, but to protect us while we enjoy the freedom. There's all kind of different things that he tells us, and it doesn't make sense to us. Sex out of the confines of marriage, why does he tell us that? not to do that because he knows what's best for us and that that in the context of marriage is really good. And we could get hit by a car if we go outside the bounds. So he gives us a choice. That's what he's doing with Balaam. He's, he's given Balaam a choice and he says, I know what you're about to do. I've already told you that's not what's best for you. I've put the fence up, but because you keep asking, you go on ahead. And then God says, you're going to choose your own way, but I'm not going to waste it. Look at verse 21. So the next morning, Balaam got up, saddled his donkey, and started off with the Moabite officials. Remember, Balak is the king of Moab, so he's going now with Balak's officials. It says, but God was angry that Balaam was going. God let him make a choice. didn't mean God loved it. So he sent the angel of the Lord. If you were here last week, any time... Most of the time in the Old Testament, when the words angel of the Lord appears, it's talking about a pre-incarnate Christ. Pre-incarnate is a fancy word for before Jesus came in bodily form. It's Jesus in the Old Testament. So he sent the angel of the Lord to stand in the road to block his way as Balaam and two servants were riding along. So God gives Balaam this choice. He lets him make this choice, but that doesn't mean that he has to be happy about it. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm doing something outside of the fence, per se, when I'm doing something I know is wrong, I don't want anything to do with God. Y'all, like, I don't want to read a Bible verse on the refrigerator. I don't want to get a notification. I don't want to hear a worship song. I don't want to go to church. I don't even want you to text me. If you know that I'm sinning, don't text me and tell me you're praying for me. I don't want to hear that. Like, when I'm doing something I know is wrong, I don't I don't want anything to do with him. Do you know that God never feels that way about you? That he never wants to cut you off and silence the notifications. Even when you're making mistakes, God never fails to meet us, even in the midst of our mistakes. God never wastes our mistakes. Never. God never wastes our mistakes. And for some of you today, that is why God had you in here. It is no mistake that you are here right now because you need to hear that in spite of your mistakes, in spite of your past, in spite of the things you did wrong that you knew were wrong, in spite of the bad stuff that you did again and again and again because you're not that creative, in spite of the of, of, of you denying God's existence, despite the fact of you going back to the addiction, of going back to the relationship you shouldn't have had going back to the thing that God had told you not to go back to. You need to hear this morning that God won't waste those mistakes. He doesn't. And so he meets Balaam. He meets Balaam on this road in the midst of his mistake after God told him, don't do it. But he still meets Balaam. Your mistakes don't disqualify you, and your mistakes doesn't mean he's... Abandon you. He's not done with you. Maybe, maybe the mistakes, while God didn't like them in the process, maybe the mistakes are going to get you to the place where you actually rely on Him. Maybe the mistakes are going to be used one day to help other people that are walking through those same mistakes. Maybe the mistakes have then God didn't cause them, but maybe he's going to use them so that you can be more thankful for his grace. Maybe the mistakes will be the very thing that causes you to fully trust him and have a relationship with Jesus. He won't waste your mistakes. There's a story in the the New Testament in John chapter 4 about a Samaritan woman. A A Samaritan woman who would have been an outcast of society. She goes to draw water one day from this well. Jesus just so happens to be sitting by the same well, and Jesus speaks to her, which would have been very culturally uncommon of the day. And Jesus asks her, he says, listen, you're drawing from this well? I've got water that's better than what's in that well. I've got living water. She says, excuse me? And he says, yeah, I got something something even better for you. He says, as a matter of fact, go get your husband, bring him back, and I'll tell you all about it. Of course, Jesus knew, but she says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five. And the man that you're living with now isn't your husband. You've made some mistakes. If you follow the story along, Jesus would fully reveal himself to this woman at the well. She would taste of the living water, which meant him. He would reveal who he truly was, and it happened through her mistakes, through a lady who would have been culturally pushed out. Through a lady who Jesus should, according to the religious tradition of the day, should have never engaged in a conversation with. But it was through her mistakes that Jesus looked, had her square in the eyes and said, I'm not going to waste them. I'm going to use them. God, never waste your mistakes. So that's where Balaam is. He's doing his own thing. God's not happy about it. But God meets him. On the road. Let's keep reading. Verse twenty-three it says, "Balaam's donkey saw that the angel saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. The donkey bolted off the road into a field, but Balaam beat that sucker, and it turned back onto the road. So this this has to be meant, meant comical, right? I mean, this has to be the comic relief relief in in, in the story." Because here's this donkey that sees this angel, sees God's presence, basically. This donkey can see it, but Balaam can't. And this happens three times. Three times this donkey sees the angel, veers off course. Three times Balaam beats the donkey to get him back on course. Now, it's funny, but I think it shows us something about God. God will never waste your interruptions. If you think about your life, about the major times in your life, if you've lived any amount of time, looking back, didn't some of the greatest things happen with what felt like an interruption in the moment? When you met your spouse, life was fine at the time. And then you meet this person that randomly, it's an interruption, But God uses it as a a blessing. When you had your child, it was an interruption, but it was a blessing. Maybe somebody gave you a phone call, and it changed the course of your life, and you weren't expecting that phone call. It was an interruption in the moment. It felt like an inconvenience, but God used it as an opportunity. Oftentimes, our interruptions are God's opportunities because God doesn't Waste interruptions. There's a story in actually Matthew, Mark, and Luke about a lady who the Bible says had been suffering from an issue of bleeding for 12 years. She's gone to the doctor. They can't figure out what's going on, they can't figure out what's wrong, and she's desperate. Like she's tried everything, some of you. And so she shouldn't have been out. She was seen as unclean in society. But she thought, maybe maybe if I can just get close enough to Jesus, he can do something. Well, Jesus at the time is on his way to heal this guy named Jairus's daughter. Jairus was a synagogue leader. He was a big deal in society. And so Jesus is on the way to heal Jairus's daughter. And this lady climbs through the crowd sneaks up behind Jesus and just catches a glimpse or just barely touches the hem of his coat. The Bible says that Jesus, on his way to do something else, turns and acknowledges the lady and heals her on the spot. Now, what does that tell me about Jesus? That Jesus doesn't despise interruptions, that he welcomes them, that some of God's greatest work is in the midst of my interruptions. What if you started to live like that? Wouldn't we slow down a little bit? Because I don't like interruptions. I don't even like, I don't like traffic. I don't like waiting in line at the grocery store. Yesterday, no joke, I skipped the line four times trying to find the shortest one. Because I don't like interruptions. And let's face it, every time you do that, the checker is slow at the one you thought was shorter. But God doesn't, God loves interruptions. And what if, what if we lived with the, with the idea that this interruption is an opportunity. That this thing that I didn't expect and I didn't even want could possibly be an opportunity. That's how it's going to be for, for Balaam. Like I said, in total, this donkey goes off the pass, path three times. Balaam beats it all three times. One of the times, the second time actually. The donkey gets scared, bolts off path, and gets too close to a rock wall beside the path and crushes Balaam's foot against the wall. Balaam still can't see the angel, and now he's distracted by his pain. I think sometimes we get distracted by our pain, but God never wastes our pain. God never wastes our pain. Now, don't hear me wrong. Don't, don't hear me say that God causes pain. God does not cause your pain. God has not caused your pain. Pain is from the enemy. We have a very real spiritual enemy called Satan, and pain comes from him. Death comes from him. Injustice comes from him. Pain doesn't come from God, but God will not waste your pain. And I don't want to belittle your pain today because I know that there's, there's, there's people that are hearing me that, are going through unspeakable pain right now. But I believe that in our modern world today, we've got a total wrong perspective about pain. If you have pain in your body, it's put there so that you can figure out what's causing it, right? So I feel pain. I go to the doctor, and he diagnoses not just the pain, but he diagnoses the cause of the pain. And so I think sometimes in our modern world with so many incon with so many conveniences And the way we hate to be inconvenienced, I think sometimes we can be so concerned with getting through the pain, with pushing away the pain, with just getting out of this spot in my life. Pain of making the pain go away, of of being out of this situation, of it finally being over, that sometimes we can miss the work that God wants to do in the midst of our pain. Because our pain, through the pain, we can work on the issue that's at the deepest level in our soul. And if the pain never happens, we can never heal what's really aching us. And so maybe God didn't cause your pain, but maybe you could use the painful season you're in to allow it to stir up some issues that are at a deeper level inside of you. I I don't know the reason for your pain. I don't. I don't appreciate your pain, and I I understand why you just want it to go away. It's human nature. I understand why you just want it to be over and done with. I get it. But maybe, just maybe, God won't waste it. And you can be better coming out of your pain than you were going into your pain. He never wastes it. Maybe he's allowing that relationship to crumble because he has something better for you. Maybe he has somebody else for you. Maybe there's something inside of you that he wants to work on so that when you do meet them, you'll be ready. Maybe he's trying to, through your pain, make you seek answers. And maybe at one time you knew that he was the answer, but you've drifted way away from that. And so if you don't go through this struggle, if you don't feel this pain, you're never going to go back to him to supply what you've been trying to get everywhere else. Maybe, maybe the pain has a purpose. Maybe you can put a purpose on the pain. Maybe the very thing that is going to make you bounce back up is hitting rock bottom. And if he rescues you now, You'll never bounce back into his arms. Maybe the pain won't be wasted. Isn't isn't there hope in that? To know that it hurts right now. But God doesn't waste it. So the angel of the Lord gets in the way of this donkey. Balaam beats it three times, and then something really funny happens. Look at verse 28 says, then the Lord gave the donkey the ability to speak. Now hear the donkey from Shrek when I read this, okay? <laughs> what I have I done to you? Now, <laughs> that was good. That's pretty good. Okay. I didn't do that first service. But anyway, the donkey says, what have I done to you that deserves your beating me three times? It asked Balaam. And I think it's even funnier because look at Balaam's response. Like, if, if my donkey starts talking to me, I'm not talking back. I'm going to see, I'm going to check myself in. I'm going to take more of my medicine. I'm going to stop taking my medicine. Too much of it. Something. But Balaam just responds to the donkey like it's like it's normal. He says, You made me look like a fool, Balaam shouted. And can you, he probably does not like a fool if anybody's around because he's talking to his donkey. If I had a sword with me, I would kill you. But I'm the same donkey you've ridden all your life, the donkey answered. Have I ever done anything like this before? No, Balaam admitted. You know, it's really easy to forget the people that have been there for you when you're in the pain. Verse 31 says, Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the roadway. With a drawn sword in his hand, Balaam bowed his head and fell face, ground, face down on the ground before him. Now, this is, this is a funny story, and it's, it's a true story, but I, I, think, I think if I'm God, I'm leaving this part out, right? Here are these humans that, I, that he says in Genesis that he created in our image, But yet, in this story, even the donkey is smarter than Balaam. You know what it tells me? That God never wastes anything. That everything is at his disposal to interact on my behalf. It tells me that God doesn't waste anything. That everything is in his hands and has the ability to bless me and protect me. God doesn't waste waste, anything, even a donkey. Now, throughout the course of history, even in Bible times, the donkey was known to be one of the dumbest animals. And here is this dumb donkey, y'all thought I was going to say it, here is this dumb donkey that speaks up, and God uses him in this moment to bring Balaam to a place that he could not have gotten by himself. God isn't even going to waste a donkey. He doesn't waste anything. So Balaam changes his tune, and then in verse 34, it says, Then Balaam confessed to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I didn't realize you were standing in the road to block my way. I'll return home if you are against me going. So Balaam confesses and surrenders. God doesn't waste anything, but you can. If you never surrender, and you're never like Balaam, and you don't throw your hands up and say, I surrender, the pain, the interruptions, the mistakes could all be wasted, not because God wasn't faithful, not because God didn't have the power to use it, but because you refuse to surrender. Because once again, God gives us a choice. My, cho- my my question to you today is: Will you surrender, and will you cling to Him and allow Him to use the very things that you wanted to push away? It's only in surrender. And some of you, some of you today. You have a relationship with Jesus, but you don't live a surrendered life, do you? And one of the best things that God can do for you is to get you to the point of believing that he is what you needed all along. Will you surrender? Will you throw your hands up and say, I'm tired of trying. I'm tired of trying to make... I'm I'm tired of trying to to, to make beauty from ashes. I'm tired of trying to do it by myself. I'm, I'm tired of making the mistakes. I'm tired of feeling with the pain. God, I surrender. Balaam throws his hands up, and he surrenders to what God wants him to do, and so God doesn't waste it. God doesn't waste the mistakes. God doesn't waste the interruption. God doesn't waste the pain. God doesn't even waste the dumb donkey. God won't waste what I walk through. God won't waste what I walk through. And so my challenge to you today, and I guess to wrap all this up, and I guess this is this is really the, the main point of everything that I, I'm, I'm saying, and this is what I want you to hear, and I think this is what God spoke to me and he wanted me to tell you is, Don't give up when you're in the middle. Don't give up when you're in the middle of the mistakes. Don't give up when when your life has been interrupted by something tragic or by something you didn't expect or something you wanted to push away or, or by someone who left you out in the cold. Don't give up. Don't, don't give up when the pain is deep and when the pain is real. Don't give up. Surrender. Look for God in the midst of it because he is a God who can take broken things and put them back to life. He is a God who doesn't waste anything. He is a God who doesn't make mistakes. He is a God who can take your pain and turn it into progress. He is a God who can take the interruptions and turn them into opportunities. He is a God who can take your mistakes and your mess and turn them into a miracle. Don't stop here. It won't be wasted. God won't waste what I walk through. He won't. Even if he has to use a dumb donkey, he hasn't given up on me. Even if he has to use, please understand when I say this, even if he has to use tough pain, he doesn't cause it. But surrender it and let him use it. God won't waste what I walk through. I don't know how it's going to turn out for you. I don't don't know how it's going to turn out. I don't don't know what's going to happen. And I think sometimes we can get in danger when we start trying to figure out God and formula up what God is doing. But I know that right now it may seem impossible to make some good out of what's going on. But God won't waste it. It may be the very thing that makes you see him in a way that you've never seen him before. I know that right now you feel like God isn't giving you what you need. But everything that you don't need is coming into your life. But I know he won't waste it. It may be the very thing that shows you that he's enough and that he's all you really need. Right now, I know you may feel purposeless and you may feel like a failure. But God... Won't waste it. He can use a donkey. God won't waste what I walk through. With every head bowed and every eye closed. There's a story in all four Gospels about Jesus who's teaching on a mountainside one day, and the people get hungry, and this little boy comes with his lunchbox and says, I don't have much, but you can have what I got. And the Bible says that Jesus takes it, and he multiplies it, and it's enough to feed anywhere from, people would say, ten to 15,000 people. And the really cool part about that story that I think we often overlook is that After everyone's fed, everyone's gone back to the buffet, they pick up basketfuls that are left over. Why? Because God doesn't waste anything. And some of you this morning, I know you feel like a leftover. You've been left over, you've been overlooked, you're alone. I want you to hear me say this morning that you're not a leftover to God. That he would send his only son to put on flesh, to step down from a heavenly throne, to step into the earth, to live a sinless, perfect life, to die on a cross, suffer a punishment he didn't deserve, be buried in a tomb tomb, and then raised three days later and he did that for you. You're not a leftover. So if you need to accept him this morning and you've never acknowledged that he is who he says he is, that he is the way for you to receive forgiveness of your sins, could you just pray this prayer with me? Just say, God, I've messed up. I've been trying to do it by myself. But today I recognize that you're not going to waste any of that. And so I'm coming to you. I confess that I believe you died and you rose. I don't, I don't know how it all happened and I don't have to have all the answers right now, but I believe it. So I put my faith in you. My life is no longer my own in Jesus' name. God, thank you for every person under the sound of my voice. God, thank you for not wasting anything. Thank you that we can have hope for the future because we know you'll use the present. God, this moment is significant because it's a moment that you've given us and that you want to work in and through. God, thank you for these amazing people. Thank you for the honor and the privilege to speak your word and to read your word. God, give us hope. Restore hope. Restore joy. God, show us purpose. In Jesus' name, amen.